0: Hey guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so very much for tuning in. Today we are going to be having a woke history lesson with none other than John Oliver, who of course hosts Last Week Tonight on HBO. And if you're not familiar with John Oliver, he's pretty much one of these comedian slash news anchor types a la Trevor Noah. And actually, years ago back in the day, I did do several response videos to his content, but to be honest, it had been a while since I had seen or heard anything from him until that is this week when his show put out an entire episode based on American history, which is getting a lot of attention. So I thought it would be fun for us to look at some clips together. Now, very broadly, the message of this episode is one that I agree with. That is that people should know more about history. I love history. Not only do I think it's interesting, but I also think it's important for us to understand the world around us, why it is the way that it is. But where John Oliver and I kind of diverge in our thinking is that it seems to me, and I want to hear what you all think as well, that the main reason why John Oliver wants people to know more about history and a very specific type of history at that is so that people will recognize that America was and even is built upon white supremacy and so that white people can feel guilty for the actions of their ancestors. And no, I am not kidding. Let's just, let's just jump right into this. The first clip we have here is how John starts off the episode, of course, like any good comedian in 2020 by ragging on the notorious orange man.
1: Just look what happened a few weeks back when the president in the midst of nationwide black lives matter protests announced plans to hold a rally in Tulsa on June 19th, a decision astonishingly tone deaf for two key reasons. Next Friday, June 19th is Juneteenth, an annual holiday commemorating the end of slavery in the U.S. As for Tulsa, 99 years ago this month in 1921, the city witnessed the Tulsa Race Massacre, one of the nation's worst outbreaks of racial violence.
0: The first thing I want to say to that is there are many reasons why studying history is important, but not wanting to appear tone deaf is a strange one to focus on, but I think it says a lot about John Oliver's perspective. To his point, though, people were upset that Trump would dare to host a rally on Juneteenth in Tulsa because, oh, Juneteenth is now this really big deal, and in Tulsa there was this massacre that happened, I think, 99 years ago. So I guess John Oliver's point is this is why we need to learn more about our racist history so that we can seem less stupid and racist than our stupid racist president. All right, to the point about Juneteenth, I actually don't have a problem with Juneteenth being recognized as this national holiday. I know a lot of other people feel the same way. There are a lot more useless, irrelevant holidays that are recognized, so why not Juneteenth? I don't have a problem with that. But what bothers me is when progressives act like Juneteenth is this sacred day that has, I don't know, always been a big deal. It's like, no, it hasn't. Don't pretend that you've known about Juneteenth for more than a couple months because odds are you haven't. You know, it's fine if you if you want it to be a thing now, but don't pretend like it always was. That's just not the case. And regarding Tulsa, it is tragic what happened in Tulsa. And I'm actually one of the people who's only now starting to learn more uh, about that massacre. But is, is the solution really to just bar Tulsa from taking part in any type of national or political or even remotely racially related events because of it because that that doesn't seem feasible or reasonable. If anyone still believes that Trump is just insensitive and mean you should know that they did end up postponing the rally until June 20th and on June the day itself, the White House actually did put out a statement about Juneteenth. It reads, The First Lady and I sent our warmest greetings to those celebrating Juneteenth this year. Juneteenth reminds us of both the unimaginable injustice of slavery and the incomparable joy that must have attended emancipation. It is both a remembrance of a blight on our history and a celebration of our nation's unsurpassability to triumph over darkness. But sure, I guess Trump is super racist or something. Next up, John Oliver talks about George Washington and why, if you don't support toppling his statues, you might actually just be super duper
1: ignorant. Watch Joy Behar try to explain why statues of George Washington should be left alone, and in doing so, actually learning something. The George Washington, besides being a founding father and a great general, and somebody who was so instrumental in this union that we have in this republic, also freed his slaves. He was a horrible slave owner. Yeah, he was. And the thing is, Joy Behar's version of history, while distorted, is definitely more palatable, especially for white people. And seeking out misleadingly comforting versions of history is a pattern that we've seen again and again this year.
0: There is a lot to unpack there. With the whole toppling statues thing, I think it is so ridiculous to try to hold historical figures to today's standards of morality. That just does not make sense. Look, I I know it may be shocking and uncomfortable to hear, but odds are people who were alive in the 16, 17, 18, or even 1900s, they were not intersectional feminists. I know, I know, it's crazy, but the thing is, George Washington doesn't need to have been a perfect person in order for him to have done something meaningful and noteworthy for American history. Like, why why make it about any more than that? When there's a statue of someone, it doesn't necessarily need to be that you are glorifying them or deifying them. What really bothers me next is how John Oliver talks about how this might make white people specifically uncomfortable. And that's a thread that is throughout this entire episode, the need to link the past behavior of white people to some sort of burden that exists for white people, Day. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I'm only half white, but still, I feel absolutely no guilt. None whatsoever. No responsibility for the actions of white people in the past who were not me. Because why would I? And that's something that I, I really want to say about this episode is that this whole guilt of your ancestors thing, it really only does apply in the eyes of progressives to white people. Have you noticed that they don't spend time talking about the past wrongs of Mongolians or of Arabs or you name the ethnic group because everyone has done stuff. It's only about white people. And it's so curious that in his quest for people to learn more about history, not once does John Oliver contextualize the bigotry that was going on in America with saying, hey, but also literally every other place on the planet was the same, right? There was no utopia In the 1700s, that was just free of racism, where people of all races and genders and orientations lived as if it were 20s, 20s Portland, doesn't exist. Uh, Anyway, next up though, John Oliver complains about how there are no national standards for education and how people just, they need to learn more about the white supremacy of America, just it needs to
1: happen. There are no national standards for what topics or figures students must learn about at school and state standards vary widely. When CBS looked into it this year, it found seven states do not directly mention slavery in their state standards, only two mention white supremacy, while 16 list states' rights as a cause of the Civil War. I do just
0: want to look at some of the things he mentions in regard to national standards and education. First, it seems like the vast majority of states do have slavery as a part of their official curriculum, and even the few that don't, it doesn't mean that students aren't learning about slavery. I also think it's very strange that he feels apparently that schools must teach specifically about white supremacy in history versus just the history of slavery, because those are not the same thing. And with progressives, you'll notice that they have, ironically enough, a very narrow view. Of history, right? If you only look at the history of the United States and what happened in the past, then you you might be inclined to think that, all right, America was a white supremacist country, and white people are just the evil doers of history. Which is, I mean, what a lot of progressives do think. But if you step back and you take a more macro, a more global look at history, then it becomes very clear that racism was ubiquitous in the past and a lot of places today it still is so the narrative changes then from america bad white people bad to just this was a product of the time that these people lived in and america more so than a lot of other countries has taken gradual and continuing steps toward removing that inequality and i don't say any of this to make excuses for the wrongs that were done in the past like i said earlier i do think it's important for people to learn about them but it just it kind of confuses me why in the progressive view you you only are supposed to learn about the wrongs that white people did like why is that have you noticed that i mean these people aren't out there saying we need to learn more about the barbary slave trade or even the african slave trade that resulted in a lot of the slaves being brought to america no no it's just history is only important if white people were the villains. I do just want to stop here for a minute though to tell you all really quickly about our amazing sponsor, Candid. For the past few months, we've all kind of been locked up and there hasn't been a lot of progress on pretty much anything, unless of course you are a Candid client, in which case even being unable to leave your house, you've still been able to see improvements in your teeth. So Candid makes clear aligners that are comfortable, removable, and totally invisible, unlike wire braces so you can transfer your smile without anybody even noticing. Plus, your treatment is prescribed and monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. Candid only works with orthodontists, never general dentists like other companies, and with some of those other companies, you may never even hear from your doctor as you go through treatment, which is ridiculous, but with Candid, you do your scans every 10 days and an orthodontist looks it over each and every time. And with Candid, your treatment includes remote monitoring by the same orthodontist who created your plan, so you never have to worry how you're doing. You'll always know, which I love. And we travel a lot, or at least we did before the whole Rona thing, and it is so cool. You can actually bring the equipment you need to scan your teeth on the go. So business trips, family vacations, whatever, none of those things have to get in the way of you moving on to your next aligner. The average Candid treatment is just six months, and you'll start seeing results way before then, and Candid costs an average of 50% less than Invisalign. So are you ready to take your first step toward getting your dream smile? Get started today from the comfort of your own home with Candid's risk free starter kit and $75 off. Go to CandidCO.com Lauren and use the code Lauren so they know that our show sent you. It is a great way to get an even better smile and support the show at the same time. The final thing we're going to talk about in regard to this episode is something that I found especially dishonest and it's John Oliver's way of trying to say that that see, white supremacy in the past is still happening today because Republicans want lower taxes. And that's that's seriously a point he, he tries to make, you'll see.
1: One of the problems with the way that we teach history is that too often, it sort of trails off after the civil rights movement. And when you skip over the past half century, you don't get to see the process by which white supremacy, instead of disappearing, merely adapted. And perhaps nobody made that process clearer than Lee Atwater, a top Republican campaign strategist who worked for, among others, Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush. Here he is, spelling out the whole game in 1981. And I'm gonna warn you, you're about to hear the N-word a lot.
0: So as a conservative, personally, I do not actually feel the need to defend the honor or intentions of every single other conservative out there. Some other conservatives are jerks, but to me, that doesn't need to affect the morality or the correctness of the conservative position as a whole. So I have no emotional attachment to this Lee Atwater person is what I'm trying to say, Uh, but I did look into the clip that John Oliver is about to show you and would you be surprised to learn that it is taken wildly out of context. So I'm gonna I'm gonna show you the clip that he plays in his show, but just remember, he is trying to tie this person to Ronald Reagan and George Bush. So he's here trying to paint this picture of look how racist Ronald Reagan and George Bush are, because look how racist the things that this guy is saying
1: are. You start out in nineteen fifty four by saying n by nineteen sixty eight you can't say That hurts your backfire, so you say stuff like uh, forced bussing, state's rights, and all that stuff. And you're getting so abstract now, you're talking about cutting taxes, and all of these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and the byproduct of them is, blacks get hurt worse than whites. That is actually a pretty concise history of a certain thread in politics for the past half century, which brings us all the way up to the present day.
0: Well, that is a pretty shocking clip. And if you're the average John Oliver viewer, you're probably thinking, oh, I knew it. Fiscal conservatism really is just a code for let's take money from blacks. I knew it. They're all racist. Like I said, I don't have any inherent interest in protecting Lee Atwater or Republicans from 40 years ago, but out of interest, I did actually look up the full transcript of what was happening in that interview, and surprise, surprise, it's a little more complicated than John Oliver makes it seem. As John Hinderaker writes about this interview clip, the audio tape is of a conversation between Lee Atwater and two men, Professor Alexander Lamis, who first quoted the now-famous paragraph in a book, and a second man named Saul. Atwater said in the interview, from 1954 through 1966, race was the issue in the South. In 1980, I think the crucial thing in 1980, the two dominant issues in Southern politics, which had been race and party, you had to be a Democrat to win, are pretty well resolved, and the main issues become the economy and national defense. The interviewer, was the one who, quote, pushed back against Atwater's views that the Reagan campaign in the South was free of any racial element. He said, but might there, I'm not saying that he does this consciously, but the fact is that he does get to the Wallace voter and to the racist side of the Wallace voter by doing away with legal services, by doing away with cutting down on food stamps. Which is then when Atwater said his infamous quote, which John Oliver doesn't include, but he followed by saying, and you're getting so abstract now, you're telling." Talking about cutting taxes and all of these things you're talking about are totally economic things and a byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. And subconsciously, maybe that is part of it. I'm not saying it. He goes on to make the argument that even if some voters draw a subconscious connection between, say, cutting the food stamp program and race, the absence of any specifically racial appeal shows what a minor factor race has become in Southern politics. Atwater says, but I'm saying that if it is getting that abstract and that then we're doing away with the racial problem one way or another, you follow me? Because obviously sitting around saying we want to cut taxes, we want to cut this and we want is so much more abstract than even the busing thing and a hell of a lot more abstract than the n-word thing. So any way you look at it, race is coming on the back burner. So sorry John Oliver, but no, it does not look like white supremacy has evolved in America from wanting to keep blacks as slaves to simply wanting to give everybody, black people included, tax cuts. That's pretty much all I have to say for now, though, but as always, I would love to hear what you all think about this. Do you think that there needs to be more of a focus on white supremacy and racial issues specifically when it comes to teaching history in America? Why or why not? And if you don't agree with that statement, then how can we bring a more balanced view of history into schools? Let me know, but that's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.